Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by North Lancashire Libraries. Hi everyone, welcome back to the North Lancashire Libraries podcast for the love of books. My name is Chris Wilson, the e-services librarian, and this week on the podcast, I've got, we've got a couple of things for you this week, and the first thing is, and we have got an interview with the author, Leslie Kelly. Leslie is from Edinburgh, and she ha- is probably best known for her books kind of about the pan- a pandemic called the, the Health of Strangers series. And she has got a new book coming out in July. So she's coming to tell us a little bit about that series, a little bit about her background, and also a little bit about the new book coming out as well. So listen up for that and you'll find out all about that. It's a fantastic series and anyone who is into that kind of genre, it's a great writer to get into and it's just a fantastic series to, to enjoy. And then after that, we're going to be introducing a new little feature which we're going to introduce as a kind of... How we'll describe it. A sort of mini podcast all to itself within our own our normal podcast. So we are going to have something that we have titled Bees Books. And I'll let the, the people involved in that kind of tell you a little bit why it's called Bees Books themselves. But basically there is um Jenny and Parry, who has been recently on the podcast in the last few episodes, doing a little bit themselves and telling us a lot about about some book recommendations and they can tell you all about it at the end. And you can look forward to seeing B's books in between the normal episodes that we release for the podcast going forward for the next little while as well. So that's something for you to enjoy. But for now, first up, we have got our little interview with Leslie Kelly and you'll find out all about her series, The Health of Strangers. So thanks for joining me, Leslie. Um, I thought we'd start off with getting to know you a little bit um, more before we get onto the books and stuff like that. And I saw on your website that you dabbled a little bit in uh, stand-up comedy. Um, so is that something that you still do a little bit of? No, that that, that was in my early 30s I did that. Uh, I'd always been a big fan of stand-up comedy, but I hadn't really given much thought to how you become a stand-up comedian. And <laughs> then I worked beside somebody that did stand-up comedy in his spare time. And, and basically, you know, if you, you want to do stand-up comedy, you just you know, phone up. The, it was the stand that I, I, in Edinburgh. You kind of phone them up and say that you'd want yeah. want to do it. And and they let you, which must be just about the only art form that, you know, you don't need any qualifications <laughs> or previous training. You you just stand up and do it. Um so yeah, so I did it did it for a while in my early thirties, um, and it's great. So I think it's a great preparation for life because there's no meeting at work that's quite as terrifying as having to stand up in front of a uh, bunch of drunk Glaswegians and try to make them laugh, particularly when you come from Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, I could imagine that could be quite. Uh, but you must feel quite in the spotlight uh, whenever you get on stage and, and you're kind of standing there and having to kind of try and like say make, make people giggle all the way through for a for like what twenty minutes or so at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, audiences at sort of book events are are much politer. You don't get the heckling or anything like that. So it was a good preparation for for writing books and promoting books. I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you what came first, the comedy or the books, or was it the comedy that you kind of tried first? They came actually surprisingly at exactly the same time uh, because uh, Leith Festival, which is like a little community festival near near to where I live. They um, had a week-long event, and one of the things they did was they organised a short story competition, and they also did a kind of introduction to stand-up comedy. So I entered the short story competition and won it, and then uh, had the celebration for that. And then the very next night, I was back doing my debut uh, stand-up comedy (laughs) after, I think there was five of us very, very nervously doing our, um, our, our debut as part of the Leith Festival in a room that was entirely made up of our friends and family. So, you know, it was the the best reception you're ever going to get for <laughs> any events. Um, but yes, yeah, so God bless Leith Festival. And uh, I think it shows, you know, quite a, what an impact these little community festivals make on people's lives that, you know, you can do all that in one week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they can be very, and they, they're a great kind of place for people to kind of start off with and things like that and get kind of involved in these things as well, like you say. Um, and you've also worked a lot in kind of public and voluntary sector and things like that as well, haven't you, for quite a long time? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I'm getting old now, so I hate to think how long it is. It's probably about, you know, 30 <laughs> years now that, that I've been um, 
uh, in various bits of the public sector and voluntary sector. And really, that's where my inspiration came for, for the, the novels that we're going to go on and talk about, about the health of strangers. Um, and the, the role that I've been in for about the past 20 years is working for something called a third sector interface, which is a kind of umbrella body for all the charities and third sector organisations in a local area. And we spend an awful lot of our time sitting in meetings and um, community planning meetings. And you've got the police there and the council and the health service. And they've all got like very different cultures. You know, yeah. the police have got that real dark humour thing going on. <laughs> and, you know, some of the health bits of the health service are quite right on. And, you know, I just thought that was really interesting. And, and you know, one of the things that we sit in these meetings and discuss is emergency planning you know, what would happen if the weather was really, really bad and people were getting snowed in and then we had the beast from the east, you know, yeah. the, the, remember that back in 2010, the terrible, terrible weather we had. I think, I think everybody remembers the beast from the east. <laughs> digging themselves out of their house, yeah. Um, and one of the other things that we planned for, obviously, was things like pandemics. Yeah. Um, but the pandemic that we were preparing for was obviously flu, we just kind of thought, well, one year, you know, we're bound to get a really bad flu epidemic. And what do we do if we've got lots of people off sick? But little did we know that we hadn't mm. quite prepared for the right thing. Um, but yes, that was the kind of inspiration for all this. Um, and the other kind of sort of inspiration for it was that quite often when you're watching sort of TV dramas, I think the, um, the, the way that uh, people in the public sector are portrayed is quite stereotypical, you know, you always get an evil sort of housing officer and things like that. And thinking, well, they're not really like that. You know, they're, they're, there's an awful lot of nice people that, that work in the public sector as well yeah. and hate the conditions that they're under and the, the, the shortages and the, the lack of funding to do anything. So I kind of wanted to do something written from the perspective of frontline emergency responders um, who are dealing with a pandemic. Yeah, no. It, uh, so that gives you that must have gave you such a great kind of background to, to kind of start off with the kind of with the novels that you, you have ended up writing. But the, the funny enough, the first novel you wrote uh, wasn't a kind of post-pandemic type novel. Um, uh, it was uh, your book, the A Fine House of, in, in Trinity, and and the post-pandemic sort of stuff is the sort of stuff that you're probably best well known for. I would I would, I would say. Um, and um, that novel was nominated for quite a prestigious prize, wasn't it? If I can get my teeth in to say that properly, <laughs> uh, the William McIlvany Prize. And that was really quite a, a kind of nice moment to kind of kind of get nominated for that and kind of feel like you're on the right path with, with writing and stuff like that for getting nominated for it, that. It was lovely. I don't think I fully understood what it was that had been nominated for because your press goes away and does all this uh, on your behalf. Um, but I was absolutely delighted and, you know, it was my first novel. Um, it, it was There was a lot of sort of autobiographical stuff in that. So it was absolutely lovely to be, you know, get some kind of recognition um, for that particular novel. And it's set in the area of Edinburgh that I live in, um, Trinity, which is full with, um, it's got lots of big old houses. Um, and we, we we're down on the shoreline, so a lot of these houses, when they were built, they were built to do with uh, the um, uh, shipping industry, and quite a lot of them have little turrets where the ship owner could retreat to and watch their um, their ships coming into to the harbour. Um, but also in these parts, there's always been um, quite a history of things like smuggling and, and things like that. Oh. And a lot of these room, uh, these buildings had like sort of hidden rooms that you wouldn't know they were there. This was where people were stashing their hooch that they were keeping away from the customs. So, you know, just kind of walking past all these houses, really kind of inspirational for a writer. Um, yeah. And all my family's from Leith, um, which again, quite a sort of contrasting area. So, you know, the story was about the, this minor criminal from Leith inheriting one of these great big houses and, and then finding out somebody wants to kill him for it. Um, so it's a huge amount of fun to write. <laughs> um, and it did, like, I mean, the, the, the guy in it, there were lots of flashbacks in it and he's more or less the same age as me. So there were lots of flashbacks to like 1980s Leith and things that I remembered really well. So it was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> Yeah, so and uh, that that kind of like kind of having that personal link to the area and knowing it so well must have kind of been quite helpful for when it comes to actually writing it and kind of making it quite um, realistic for the reader. 
sort of thought. Yeah, and it did end up being like <clears throat> almost famous within a very, very small postcode area because uh, Trinity is quite a sort of sleepy area and not a lot happens in the way of crime. So having a crime novel <laughs> set here, you know, it sold really, really well locally. Um, so, yes, I'm famous within the EH5 postcode. <laughs> Just the rest of the world to conquer now. <laughs> And you are slowly, slowly doing that, I think, with your with your series, <laughs> the, the the health of strangers, and and you, so that was the kind of that and that series was the follow up to that first novel, and the first one is called the health of strangers, and it's set in Edinburgh again on the backdrop of a virus spreading throughout the country, um, the government's kind of set mandatory health checks, and fast forward a couple of years from when you've written written that. We were stuck in the middle of COVID, and it almost must have almost felt as if you were actually living your your novel a little bit. I think for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was incredibly well prepared at work for a pandemic because I'd been thinking about this for years. Well, what would the government do, and how would we <laughs> respond? Um, uh, and I got quite a lot of it right. Um, things like uh, in my books, you've got a, a green card that you need to be able to do certain things, and you know, we we're talking about vac- vaccine passports when they came in. Yeah. Um, so got quite a lot of it right, but didn't in my wildest dreams think of anything like furlough, you know, the idea that we would be paid to to stay at home and not go to work. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody had until that actually happens. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun um, imagining all this when I was doing it and when it was just like complete fiction. Um, but a lot scarier when it actually started coming true. And yeah. Um, did get quite a lot of people like contact me on Twitter and things saying, well, basically you're a witch or something. <laughs> How yeah, did you I mean, know this was all going to happen? And uh... yeah, that, I mean, there's so many, there's so many kind of uh, sort of pandemic novel type things out there, and and, and naturally whenever you read them, they, they kind of they, if you you don't read them thinking that they actually probably would occur, but then we've all experienced that just in the last few years. It's so strange to kind of think that that, that kind of thing did actually, that thing that, that writers probably all thought, this is just a dead good story to write, actually can really occur yeah, and, and it did occur. I always had a bit of a problem with the, mainly Hollywood blockbusters and more than novels, but where a, a virus strikes and, you know, within weeks you're down to like, you know, a handful of survivors and things because you know, I was thinking, well, actually, we do plan for, for things like pandemics. The NHS have all these kind of plans. So it wouldn't be like that. And what we would do is we would actually manage it and uh, and it would be a kind of managed apocalypse. Um, and, and then it hits. And that was exactly what we did. And people might not have liked it. And there's certainly a lot of discussion in my books um, about civil liberties and how people felt about having their you know liberties uh uh, restraints because of the pandemics, um, which certainly we saw those discussions taking place. Um, and in my books, there's also a lot of corrupt politicians, but I won't, won't go into detail about whether that <laughs> happened in real life. I'll leave that to people to make their own minds up about uh, what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was certainly a lot to discuss on that topic, I'm sure, and uh, uh, has been in the past. And the series that you have, have written about, um, as I say, is kind of set on a kind of pandemic background and it focuses on a team that was set up called the Health Enforcement Team, who are primarily set up to kind of try and help with the health checks and stuff that's mentioned in it. But in reality, they kind of get involved in much more, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sort of quite early in the first book, uh, one of the the team members, Mona, kind of twigs to the idea that um, they're supposed to be the North Edinburgh Health Enforcement Team, but they seem to be working all over the place. And she has a conversation with her boss who says, what are the things you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties? And obviously it's sex, politics and religion. And he says anything that's to do with any of these things comes to our team. And she kind of asks him, why would that be? And if you think about it, you know, the, the, the people that are in the health enforcement team are either seconded from the NHS or from the police. And it's kind of a post that nobody actually wants because they think, well, if you, you end up being seconded into this, it's all going to have blown over in a few months. Ha ha. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, it's just derailed your your uh, career for no reason. So everybody that ends up in um, the health enforcement team is there because they've blotted their copybook in some way. It's a bit like, you know, as Craggy Island is for, for priests, so the health enforcement team is for, for police officers. Um, so basically, most of the, the heads are, are completely incompetent. 
Um, and this slightly incompetent bunch of people is actually the, the, the best that they've got. So they tend to get anything that's to do with politics. Um, yeah. Partly just as a plot device, because I quite like writing about all the political intrigue. <laughs> so, so the, the the books do tend to to focus around this evil politician called Carlot or Carmichael, who's yeah. head of the, the the Scottish Parliament's Values Committee. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that and thinking about what politicians might be getting up to behind the scenes. <laughs> and um, two of the main characters, one of them you mentioned there, Mona, and uh, are, 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 are Two of my favourite characters, I think, in the book, Mona in particular, because um, she she's quite very career driven and and she she's not averse to taking a few risks to try and kind of reach kind of further on uh, and think kind of thinking beyond the hit team a little bit. I think, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, people are definitely either Team Mona or Team Bernard. Um, I uh, think they both have good points and I wouldn't really want to work in an office beside either of them because they've also got quite a lot of annoying traits. Um, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it was quite interesting to, to have Mona being the sort of police officer. So she's, you know, quite confident in a fight and things like that. And Bernard was a health promotion officer who's never hit anybody in his life. Um, and this has been kind of sold to, to them, this project that is going to be really about people's health. But it's not because it's about people turning up for a monthly health check. And if they, they don't turn up, the health enforcement team come around to get you. So they're basically going around and knocking on the doors of people who have, you know, drug or alcohol issues or whatever that's mean, meant that they missed it. And they tend to try and like punch them quite a lot when they, they, they do that. So Bernard in the early books just spends all of his time being terrified and kind of yeah. hiding behind Mona. But, but he's getting a bit more confident as the books go on. And they're yeah. also getting a bit more corrupted. They were both the, the one thing they had in common is that they were both very, very clean. You know, there, there, there was no chance of them lying or, or anything like that on behalf of the job. But as the books go on, that's changing a bit. Mona's getting, you know, increasingly interested in getting promoted uh, and Bernard's getting increasingly kind of scared for his life. So they're both yeah. starting to starting to, to do naughty things. Yeah, for sure. And one, one of my favourite things as well about the HET team in general is uh, their personalities that were are, they're all they're all kind of very relatable in terms of I think there's probably people uh, everyone, everyone will know somebody similar to one of the characters. I think the the, the voices are quite recognisable. I think in, in some ways for the readers. I think. Yeah, all my colleagues to come along to my book launches just to like you know find out exactly who's in the book and like especially <laughs> who it's based on. But no, they're all figments of my imagination. There's a little bit of me in all of the different characters. <laughs> <laughs> and the last book in the series so far um, it was called Murder at the Music Factory. And it saw the HET team become kind of targets from a bit of a crazed former colleague. Um, the team discover a lot of interesting people as they're going through that and both trying to kind of survive and find that former colleague before he finds them. Um, and one of the characters that I really loved in it was the, the IT guy in it, Marcus, because he becomes quite an important part in it with his knowledge of um, the of the fictional progressive rock band Arthusian Fall in it. And he, <laughs> uh, was there any inspiration behind them or, or, or Marcus as, and, and, as a character? Because I'm pretty sure I know plenty of guys like Marcus. I, I'm, I was yeah. a, I'm, a big, I'm a big kind of music fan myself and I'm pretty sure I know lots of folk who really know the ins and outs of lots of bands and stuff like that that other folk are completely not interested in. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, the inspiration for Arthusian Fall came from watching, um, I think it was called Prog Rock Britannia. You know, there's a series of different music things called Britannia, and they did one on Prog Rock, and it was hilarious. Um, I mean, I do like Prog Rock. I'm a big Pink Floyd fan and like things like Early Queen and all that. So I did like the music, but some of the outer or reaches of it um, were, were quite strange. And listening to this um a uh, person being interviewed on, on the Prog Rock Britannia show and he was saying there were no women ever at anybody's concerts and they'd kind of been taken on by this um, record company because obviously yes we're shifting loads and loads of, of records and Pink Floyd and things are thinking yeah what we need is more Prog Rock and then the record company is having no understanding of, of what people liked or didn't like so they were just making music that was increasingly unlistenable and the record companies were putting it out because they, they didn't know any better. And, you know, like uh, things like like Gong and Egg and that that were really kind of, you know, out, outrageous in, in their music. So that was the kind of inspiration for it. And I thought it'd just be really funny to have a, a, a rock band with, with 
some really unlistenable music. And of course, I love Marcus to death and he just loves it all. And he loves the whole thing. You know, I, th I think prog rock is really of its time because as much of it about the music. It's about like the the gatefold sleeve on the album, you know, where it has the sort of, you know, the yes picture or whatever in the middle of it. Um, and, and just, you know, the whole story being influenced by that. Yeah. yeah, I I do have a lot of fun writing all these books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the parts of the book that I, that I kind of it's a sort of a, probably not a major part in, in terms of story, but but it's just one of the parts. I think it's Bernard is sees a symbol somewhere and he's like, well, I recognise that from somewhere, and it turns out to be Marcus' <laughs> t-shirt, which is just that was a, it's a great thing because he's wearing a, a, an enthusiast uh, falls t-shirt. That's a, a lovely week in a boat, and like I say, it's not really probably not that important from the actual story point of view, but but it's just a, just a kind of great little thing. Um, you, now, you know, no, no stranger to North Lancashire for, your, uh, for uh, the we're from, North Lancashire Libraries. Um, you did, uh, a good few years ago, do a book uh, event for us at Summerlee yeah. Museum for the launch of your book, Death in the, uh, a Plague, uh, Death in the Plague Museum. And was that a bit different doing a, a sort of author event in museums rather than in a library or bookshop, which probably would, I would imagine you would, you would more regularly do? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm all in favour of, you know, uh, book events and museums. I absolutely love museums. Um, and my family's quite into to museums as well, apart from my older son, because uh, we went on holiday to London and we did seven museums in the time we were down there. And he's never coming on holiday with us again. Um, <laughs> but it, it was just so much fun inventing a museum for, for Death at the Plague Museum. Um, and I think uh, it's a museum that we're missing, really. There isn't actually a museum of plagues and pandemics in Scotland. And, and I think, you know, interest in it being a bit higher yeah. now, maybe there will be one day. But it was a lot of fun sort of making that up and coming up with what exhibits you would have in, in such a museum. Um, yeah. And I, I put it in one of these old sort of Georgian houses that has this sort of spiral, but the kind of um metal staircase that goes all the way up and had somebody fall from the top of that onto uh, a model of your know, uh, virus DNA um and thought of, like lots of the other exhibits that would be in there basically just stealing from all the other museums that we have in Edinburgh you know uh, kind of a, a monkey from there and uh, you know I'll have a few chickens from somewhere else because they're all responsible for viruses across the world <laughs> Um, so, so that that was hugely fun um, making up a museum, um, but yeah, I do like a bit of industrial museum life. So definitely, uh, in, very much enjoyed my trip to Summer Lee. Yeah, I did. I did notice. I think I'm right to think there's a bit on your website about um, museums and stuff like that listed there, and kind of a few recommendations to go, to visit and things. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it links people into the different kind of um, uh, exhibits. Yeah, and there were some natural history ones, and there's also sort of the social history stuff as well. Um, uh, and you, uh, the National Library of Scotland is in Edinburgh. It kind of links to that, which had lots of stuff, you know, sort of materials relating to my, my particular pandemic is based on the Spanish flu um, outbreaks. So there's lots of stuff about Spanish flu that you can go and sort of read up on. <laughs> yeah. And so if any of our listeners want to find out a little bit more, they can go on your website and have a look through some of the yep. things that might be influenced a little bit, actually. And you've now, you do have a new uh, book in the series coming out in July yep. this year, uh, Dead Man Driving, and this sounds like it's, uh, it sounds like society's not really getting any better, really, to be honest. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Uh, the the society's kind of, there's food shortages happening, there's pandemic still going on, and the hit team are kind of challenged a little bit in this one with going to try and track down a missing food lorry. Is that right? Kind of, what, what else can they expect to kind of find out in the story? Is there anything we can kind of give away in it? Yeah, I mean, th this is, you know, I keep writing books and then they, they start coming true, you know, about pandemic <laughs> and then it happens. And um, when I was writing this book, so obviously a few years ago, I started writing it, I had um, Brexit on my mind and I thought, oh, maybe Brexit will lead to food shortages hadn't thought at all about, well, nobody had predicted sort of the, the Ukraine situation and the rampant inflation that we would have. Um, and, you know, I was wanting to illustrate in the book that, that prices had gone through the roof for foods because um, with, with so many people being ill, things weren't being picked in, in the fields and things. So I was thinking, well, what's the ridiculous amount of money to be spending on a sandwich? 
um, and I'm sort of putting it that, you know, you didn't get much change from a tenner buying a sandwich on the, the Royal Mile. And, you know, with inflation going up, I was thinking by the time this book comes out, yes, actually, it will cost £10 to have a sandwich on the Royal Mile. You, you might, need, you might um, need to edit that by the time it comes out. I know. <laughs> if, if it gets reprinted, we'll have to put up to £20 or something. But, um, but yeah, this is the, the evil politician, Carlotta Carmichael. Now, she, she's got all the virus ministers from across Europe together. And she's putting a ministerial dinner and, you know, it's a bit awkward because you don't want to be spending too much money on food because taxpayers will get annoyed. The other hand, you don't want to be seen as cheap by your, your um, colleagues. So she's got this lorry load of high end food that's supposed to be driven through from Glasgow to Edinburgh for, for the meal. And then somewhere around Bells Hill, the, they turn off the tracker for this lorry and, and it just goes completely missing. And then when they finally track down the lorry, there's a dead body on it. Um, and of course, the Het is involved in all this. It shouldn't be, but it is uh, trying to, to track down who these people are and how the, the, the women's ended up dead. So, yeah. Uh, I love the fact that it goes missing somewhere in North Lancashire as well. That's fantastic. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know if any North Lancashire people were involved in hijacking this lorry, but... <laughs> We will we will keep tight lipped on that one. I think. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I love about the books as well is is um, something that's kind of slightly unrelated to the actual stories in, in a way, but um, but related in a small way is is the book covers and things like that. Like uh, they're they're very sim- simple, but also very kind of stand outish in, on the shelves and stuff. I, I think they, they do stand out really well. Um, did you have any input into that at all, or is that all kind of down at the publisher Sandstone Press or? It's down to the publishers. They actually came out with different covers um, for the first two books, and and they were very similar to the Fine House and Trinity covers. Um, but then as the story kind of developed, it was becoming less kind of crime novels and more sort of thrillers. Yeah. So the press decided to rebrand them all. But you're right, they're they're, they're fabulous. They're kind of rainbow coloured, um, uh, and they do look really really good. Um, I. I always just go along with them. I don't know if you can argue back with your press about what what, what a cover should look like, but I tend to think they probably know more about um, selling books than I do. So if they think that this is what it takes to sell them, I'm, I'm willing to believe them. Yeah, so you, you stick to write them, they, they stick to come up the covers. I do what I do, they do their bit, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, now, obviously, the, the main your main series, uh, as we've been talking about, is all about pandemic-related stories. And you've got another section on your website, uh, as well as the museum part. Uh, you've also got a section on there about pandemic novels. And one of my favourite uh, pandemic series is on there, uh, the Playtime series by Louise Welsh. Yeah. Um, which is a, it's a fantastic set of books. If anyone hasn't read them, they should, really should go and check them out as well, after you've read Leslie's books, obviously. <laughs> um, and um, do you have any other favourites that you would recommend to anyone who, who likes that? Yeah, I'd recommend a couple. I mean, we're starting to see books coming out that that specifically reference COVID now. Um, But uh, a writer called Catherine Ryan Howard uh, was very quick off the mark. And I think while going through COVID, uh, wrote a novel called 56 Days, which is based about a couple kind of meeting each other. And because, you know, COVID times were what they were, they move in together really quickly without actually knowing very much about each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them ends up dead. It's not really a spoiler. You sort of find that out quite quickly. So <laughs> highly recommend that. That was a real page turner. But I think probably my, my favourite novel to do with um, pandemics is Station Eleven by Hilary um, Syndrome oh, yeah. Mantel. Yeah, uh, that's no, that's, it's not Hilary Mantel, is it? It's uh, Emily. Emily. Emily yeah. John Mantel. Yeah, Emily. Yeah. Um, which is just, uh, I mean, it is a kind of apocalyptic one about a virus spreading across the world. But for a book about the apocalypse, it's incredibly kind of hopeful. Um, Usually, you know, you see like The Walking Dead, it's everybody's at everybody else's throats and trying to kill them. But this is kind of focusing on a a band of people who go around playing music. They go around all the different settlements and and take an orchestra with them. Um, uh, And although bad things happen in the book, it also shows that, you know, civilization would continue, which has always been my thought that, that, you know, knowledge we have the knowledge now and, and whatever happened we take it with us yeah that's that's another fantastic one, uh, one yes. another one of my yes. favorites um but i know you've got uh, obviously the 
the new book coming out very shortly. But I was thinking a little bit beyond that. Is, is there, is there going, do you think there's going to be a few more of the Health of a Stranger books um, coming out? Is, is that pandemic over yet for you or is that kind of, <laughs> still going on? Yeah, I mean, there's a limit to how long you can say, you know, tease out a series of novels about a pandemic. I mean, we all know how long they last now and uh, you can't write them forever. Uh, I would like to, to take it to some kind of conclusion, but to be honest, I think we need to wait and see how this novel's received because it's the first of the series that's come out since we've had an actual pandemic. Yeah. And you know, maybe people have had enough of reading about that kind of stuff for... <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I would be interested to know if, if they're like in a, in a kind of publishing sense whether there has been a kind of uptake in reading that kind of fiction or whether or like say whether people have been left it and actually don't want to read it or not I'd be interested to know the, the, the different like what the, the stats on that would be interested to see if yeah. the publishers if there is I mean there's certainly a, there's plenty of novels out there with it and I think there is a kind of an interest in, in the topic I would say from from my from a library point of view for sure but yeah I'd be interested to see so so yeah so it's a bit of a watch this space as to whether there's uh, any future ones and and the coming to come yeah forward. definitely definitely I would I would like to take it to some kind of conclusion there's I mean as well as the sort of individual standalone bits of the story there is a kind of story arc of of what the pandemic's really all about and and what's caused it and things so I would like to see that through to its conclusion but um We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for anyone who is a huge fan of the Health of Stranger Seas, who might, and they might not have noticed this, there is also a short story available for it as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's a little freebie short story um, just there for anybody that wants to put a toe in the water and see if this is their kind of thing. So again, that's also on my website. There's one of these little annoying pop-ups that comes up as soon as you go onto the site. So you can just download it from there um, uh, and get to know a bit about Mona and Bernard from that. Yeah, so uh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Leslie, for coming and joining me and telling us all about uh, your Health of Stranger series. And I hope that the new book launch goes really, really well. And I'm sure that our, our readers will want to get get their hands on it whenever they can do. And your other books are available on our Borrowbox service. And so you can, anyone who's interested can download Borrowbox and access the the first four, the four titles of that, right? The first four parts of the yep. series, um, and uh, and kind of catch up before the new one comes out as well. So, um, anyone can read that while they're waiting. But thank you, Leslie, for coming and joining me and talking to us on our podcast. Thanks very much for inviting me. So thank you very much, Leslie, for coming and joining and talking to me there. It was lovely to speak to you. And it was great to find out all about the kind of background behind the Health of Stranger series and also find out a little bit about the new book, which features North Lancashire. Can you believe it? Somebody has stolen the truck in Bells Hill, of all places. And that is a, a great book to look forward to in the near future. Do try and check it out when you get a chance, once it comes out in July, and you will not be disappointed. And if you haven't read the other ones, as I said in the interview, they are available on Borrowbox for you guys to listen to, uh, not listen to, sorry, to read um, as ebooks. Um, and you can read those on Borrowbox too. And they are available in our libraries as well, if you can actually catch them on one of the shelves in there too. Next up, we have got our new section, which we have entitled Bees Books. And I'll leave Jenny and Parry from Coatbridge Library to tell you all about why it's called Bees Books. And you can look forward to more sections of these books in the in the weeks between the normal podcast that we put out. And so that you can kind of get some good book review, book recommendations from Jenny and Paddy and possibly others going forward if they can convince them to come and speak to them. And we'll let you we'll let them tell you all about it now. And this is Jenny, and we're here to talk about Bee's Books. So Jenny, tell us what Bee's Books is. So Bee is our very fabulous bonsai tree, and for every two weeks when we do the podcast, she will be suggesting a theme for us to tackle, and our task is to find a couple of books that we think would fit into that in some way. Um, it might not be a most obvious way, but we will find a way to squeeze something in. We'll have a chat about it, and you can listen to our ramblings on the podcast. So this segment is basically just an excuse for Jenny and me to talk about the books that we love and hopefully 
other people we can recommend these books to other people as well but mostly we're excited to recommend Absolutely. them to each other <laughs> so the theme uh, the first theme that we gave us is called here comes the sun we thought it would be it's a good theme because summer is coming and you know the sun is hopefully coming i don't know it doesn't look very sunny <laughs> the day we recording no but we've been promised sunshine coming but because i am always trying to find weird ways to make books fit into themes i found a weird way to make my book fit into this theme so my book for here comes the sun okay is good omen oh by terry pratchett and neil gaiman Excellent. what about you jenny so my book is called the dry Oh. Which is a kind of obvious way to get into Here Comes the Sun. Oh. But I have a sneaky back up as well that if we've got time we'll talk about later. Absolutely. So I see that you've come dressed today as one of your characters. I don't need an excuse to dress up as you know. <laughs> so I've dressed up as a witch Excellent. in the book. Uh, her name is Anathema Device. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's, yeah, it's not a name that you come across no, regularly. No, definitely you know? not. So first, let me ask you, Jenny, have you read this book? Yes, I have. Oh, excellent. So one of the things that we did in the run up to this segment and this recording was we didn't tell each other uh, what our books were because no. we were going to surprise each other with it. <laughs> I thought that Jenny might know this book because we're both huge fantasy fans. I don't know her books. I can't wait to hear excellent. about her book but yes i'm anathema and the w- reason that i think this book fits is because it's not about the literal sun but it is about a literal sun it's oh. about the son of satan <laughs> okay and the antichrist who is uh, yeah so he the antichrist has come into the world and it's the end of the world as we know it armageddon and like you know yeah the world whatever and i love the characters in the books i'm dressed up as one i love her there's a witch there's a witch finder there's an angel there's a demon there's four horsepersons of the apocalypse and there's the antichrist and yes. his friends <laughs> the antichrist is 11 years old and i think that he make, he he's a pretty good antichrist at what he does which is being an 11 year old boy so not at, so much at being an antichrist because he doesn't know he's the antichrist and the angel and demon and the witch have sort of misplaced him so they're all looking for him and he's a bit lost and that's yeah that's what the book is about what about you i really enjoy i have to say i have read this book um, and i love terry pratchett terry pratchett is just wonderful um and i think this book worked because neil gaiman is like slightly different than terry pratchett and it kind of brings both of them in um, have you seen the TV series? Yes. Okay. So I start. I re-read this book. I first read this book in two thousand fifteen, mm-hmm. when I didn't live in this country, and now I've re-read it when now that I'm here. And I started re-watching the season just in preparation for this episode. And the second season's coming out in Very July. Soon. Yes. So I'm like, it's prepare. It's preparing for that as well, and I love it. I love it so much. So that's why my outfit is like the actress in mm-hmm. the TV show. So saying that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman like you said you love Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman spooky horror kind yeah. of thing. This was my first introduction to both of them. Excellent. Like I'd heard about Discworld a lot, I'd heard about Neil Gaiman a lot and I thought this was, you know, a sort of good entry point. I thought this was much more Discworldy mm-hmm. than uh like I felt it was much more Terry Pratchett than Neil Gaiman uh-huh. except for the horror spooky bits I guess which yeah. I think they do say that he brings in the gross bits yeah. because they wrote it together <laughs> and like I love how their minds work mm-hmm. and how they look at the world and how they make you look at the world mm-hmm. so like both of them in very different ways yes. so I, yeah I I love this is one of my favorite books and I loved revisiting it <gasps> This is good, and I like that you've managed to squash that into our mm-hmm. first episode. Yeah, yeah. Because as you say, it's not the sunshine. No, I it's mean the sun, as in you know. Although the angels and demons are both waiting for Armageddon and the apocalypse because they're fighting against each other, and they both teams are determined that they're going to win. So for them, it is uh, sunshine summer in like a metaphorical yes. sense. Yes, oh, yes. So it works. It <laughs> yeah, works. Yeah, it does. It does. So now I can't wait to hear about your book. The Dry. The Dry. So it's by Jane Harper mm-hmm. and it's set in Australia. Mm. And basically it's set in a small town and it hasn't rained for two years. Oh. Okay. If it doesn't rain in Scotland for two days, we start to panic. <laughs> so imagine living somewhere where it doesn't rain for two whole years. 
Okay, everybody is getting really on edge um, because there's no water, you can't feed your farm animals. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And basically, um, during this, um, it, I'll read a wee bit about it. It says, tensions in the community, community become unbearable when three members of the Hadley family are brutally murdered. Oh. So basically, um, a detective comes who used to live in this town um, and tries to discover what happened. What they think is that the father of the family killed the two and then killed himself. But um, Falk, the, the detective, isn't quite sure that's what happened. He knows the family from when he lived there before. And basically there's two stories going on. It's about him and his homecoming and why he left the town while trying to investigate this either um, suicide murder or triple murder mm. um, and it's just brilliant because throughout of it, it there is no rain it is just getting hotter and hotter and hotter um, the sun is just blaring on everybody and everybody's getting really quite anxious they're, they're getting you know themselves quite worked up about the smallest thing yeah. um, so it's, it's quite a page turner mm. um, it's kind of like you know you want to find out what happens and you also want it to rain, <laughs> which is a scene Scotland we never see. <laughs> so that's really cool because when you started describing it, I thought it was going to be like a climate crisis or a climate apocalypse kind of, sort of different kind of yeah. apocalypse <laughs> story, but it's a murder mystery within that. Uh-huh, so yeah. it's like a, like I know a lot of people now are talking about or exploring as well the effect of the climate crisis mm. in not just futuristic worlds but now as yeah. well and in science fiction and fantasy especially that you know they think that this should be a part of the narrative because that's what we're living uh, currently Absolutely. but this is interesting that it has like a murder maybe mystery mm-hmm. element to it as well mm-hmm. I-, I think that sounds great and i love how we've both gone in very different <laughs> directions with our sons you're like the sun is trying to kill everybody which actually in my in good omens the sun might be trying to kill everybody absolutely so we're not so, going to tell you though no we're not the book. yeah um, and also i'm not going to tell you what happens with this one no i'm not even going to tell you if it rains yeah <laughs> um but yeah it actually reminds me of a young adult book that I read. Of course, I, I don't remember the name at all, mm-hmm. but it's by Neil Schusterman. Oh. And it's uh, it's set in California and there's, a dr- you know, these seasonal droughts that happen there. Mm-hmm. And the water in a community is turned off. So it's a mm-hmm. different kind of like, you know, they don't, it's not raining here, there. It's not, there's no rain, but there's no access to water as well, right. like drinking water or like just bathing water, whatever. Mm-hmm. And how the community turns into, so that's sort of like kind of horror. So it's like water zombies. Mm-hmm. and Ooh, water zombies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sold me with that. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, how uh, people can sort of like the best and the worst of humanity coming out at a time when you've lost access to a resource that you take so much for granted. Whereas here, it's like a resource that you need but not so much no, exactly oh. exactly <laughs> so who would love this book you think so if you like a right good page turner if you like like a thriller mm-hmm. or a kind of detective story it's great um okay. it is good how about you who do you think would like good I, moments i think people who are into funny books mm-hmm. who don't take themselves too seriously and who would like to see, if you already know Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, you might already have read this book. If you don't, this is a good introduction. If you were curious about them, or if you're not, but you've, you're sold by the idea of the Antichrist, yeah. or an angel <laughs> and demon misplacing the Antichrist, or David Tennant and Michael Sheen. Who are brilliant. Yeah, who play the devil and the angel, respectively, in the TV show. I think, um, I just think people who, are, who may not even be into fantasy so much, because... Yeah. Even though it is fantasy, it it's still because it's such a huge part of the, I guess, Western cultural narrative framework, like Christian framework. Uh-huh, and yeah. So if you're just interested in that, but exploring a different way of how that goes. Absolutely. Because I also really enjoyed, I, I don't know if I should have enjoyed, the four horse persons of the yes. apocalypse. Uh-huh. So that's war, pollution... Uh, death and famine. Yep. Yep. So I, I like it's this whole cast of characters. There's a Scottish witch finder as well, which it's interesting. So this is a digression from the question that you asked me, which I should have stuck <laughs> to. But it's really interesting because I read this when I was in India, when I like lived there, 
and I loved it then too. But rereading it now, I got a lot more of the cultural sort right. of context, you know, uh-huh. the insiderness, which as a cultural outsider I didn't really. Absolutely. But now that I've lived here for six, seven years now, almost, you know, I knew what they were referencing without them having to explicitly mm-hmm. reference it. So I would recommend it to you. Yeah, if you know the culture, if you don't, if you're into stories of the Armageddon and like of the right, antichrist right? <laughs> I just think it's a great fun read. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, it's, it's maybe funny. not stressed that enough, no, but it's yeah. very funny. Yeah. You will laugh out loud. Possibly the funniest book about the end of the world? Yes. I maybe. The, maybe yeah. there's funnier. Recommend them to us. <laughs> to be fair, in the dry, you're not going to laugh very much. No. But you are going to make this noise. Ooh. Quite a lot. Um, I might laugh at you if you make that noise. So, you know, there's, there's room for com- yes, comic so, yes. entertainment. Uh, who do you think wouldn't pick this up from based on the cover that looks really um, a bit scary and like, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it has a very sinister yeah, vibe to it, it. It does. It is quite dark, yeah. the mm-hmm. cover. Mm-hmm. And I think at first you might not realise what it's about yeah. as such. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, it is kind of a weird cover. How mm-hmm. about your cover? I'm interested. So too. my cover has uh, Crowley, I think, just chilling. So the demon, just chilling with a glass of wine. So it doesn't really say much <laughs> about it and good omens. But uh, like, so I think, I don't know, it might give off a very different kind of vibe. Like, I don't know if it gives a super religious kind of vibe, no. but not with this the no. devil. Yeah, just, I I don't know who wouldn't like it. I think this book may not work for everyone, to be honest, because some people may not want the kind of treatment that it's giving. Uh, You know, they might like not like that. Or the kind of humor that's in it. Mm -hmm. There's lots of footnotes, which I love. I love the footnotes. If you know Discworld, (laughs) you know, lots of footnotes as well. But I think this cover is very mysterious for yes. people who are into a mystery kind of thing. But it's, it is sort of a mystery. Where is the Antichrist? We don't know. We don't know. Well, we know. They yeah. don't know. <laughs> so. I quite like, though, that both our books, the covers do not really That's represent true. what's inside the book. Mm-hmm. So never judge a book by its cover. Oh, mm-hmm. it, Unless, so I did judge a book by its cover. <laughs> this book, in fact, because the copy that we have in Coatbridge Library, which is where we're recording it from, has the TV show's uh, poster as the cover. Mm-hmm. And again, like I love the TV show. I just have a thing against books that have the TV shows or the movie posters as as their cover. So I might have judged it a little <laughs> bit. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but, so you, but you would still recommend it, like you would still recommend people give your book a shot. Yes, uh-huh. and mine has also been made into a film as Ooh. well, which I've not seen. Um, I have not seen it because I like the book too much. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see somebody else's version of it if you see what I mean saying that I feel like the TV show the Good Omens TV series really lived up yes. to the thing so I just like I said I started re-watching it while I was finishing the book mm-hmm. and this dialogue the narration the narrative the narration everything I was like, oh wait, I just read this. So it was very close, I think. Yeah. And I think that's because Neil Gaiman was very much a part of it. Absolutely. And uh, even the second series. So this book is very much like a standalone book. Like it, it can work as a standalone. Mm-hmm. But Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett had been talking about ideas for a second uh, book. Uh, but they just never got around to it because they got wildly successful. <laughs> so they didn't have the time. But I think that sort of captures the idea so it's good to have the writer really close to the project so yeah maybe if Jane Harper had had the time or the inclination absolutely yeah or maybe she did and you don't know watch the film and find out you can (laughs) let us know and can I tell you about my secret um, backup book is that okay yes so I went a little bit crazy with this one and I have chosen Miss Benson's Beetle Oh, basically because here comes the sun mm-hmm. is a Beatles song, <gasps> and I went around about the ways. love it. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> quite literal it. with the dry, but Miss Benson's Beatles a wee bit excellent. Different. Yeah, yeah. It's by Rachel Joyce, uh-huh. um, and basically it's set in the fifties, mm-hmm. and it's a lady um, who has decided that she's in a dead end job. She wants to do something exciting, um, and she goes on the hunt for this beetle. Um, this wee creepy crawly um, that she's been told about by her father many years ago Um, and basically she packs everything up and goes Um, and she advertises for a companion to go with her because it was the 50s and um, you know it wasn't quite women travelling alone Um, and she gets a lady called Enid who comes along for the ride Um, and there's an awful lot that happens 
around both those characters. Um, so Enid, um, and I shall read you just a tiny little bit oh, that I have marked. I can't wait, you've sold it to me. So um, the, the lady who, Miss Benson, has advertised in the paper, because that's how you used to advertise mm-hmm. in the 50s, um, for a companion. And she says, four people replied to her advert. A widow, a retired teacher, a demobbed soldier, and a woman called Enid Pretty. Enid Pretty has built tea over her letter, and it wasn't really a letter, it was more of a shopping list. <laughs> and while her spelling was also verging on disaster, Enid wanted to live life and see the world, completely misspelt. <laughs> After that, she had put carrots, onions, and a few other things that she needed, included, including eggs and string. Marjorie wrote to all of them, except Enid, to ask them to come for an interview. But, of course, things happen, and Enid is the one that ends up going with her. Um, it is a very funny book. It is also quite a moving book Aww. as well. Um, so I thought I would just throw that one in, just um, as a wee sneaky one. I think it's a perfect segue into our next theme, because Miss mm-hmm. Benson and Enid don't sound like they'd make the perfect fit, really. You could even say they're strange bedfellows. (laughs) Which is our theme for next next time. I think Good Omens would also really qualify as a strange bedfellows theme because an angel and demon, they're friends. I I should have said they're really good friends. They're on the same team. They're not on the team of big team angel, big team demon. They're doing their own thing Mm -hmm. on the side. And they'd be like they're strange bedfellows, but they work. Mm-hmm. And the witch finder and the witch Absolutely. also team up, and they're strange mm-hmm. bedfellows, and yes. they work. So what we'd love to do is if you have ideas for a book that you'd like to recommend to us, either with Here Comes the Sun or with Strange Bedfellows, we'd love your recommendations because we love being recommended absolutely absolutely and if you have a a theme that you think that b might be interested in challenges challenging us with we'd be more than happy to hear about that as well absolutely Um, we love finding ways to make it not quite fit but somehow fit yes absolutely (laughs) so you've been listening to these books thanks very much for listening to the first segment first episode first Whatchamacallit? Whatchamacallit. We like that (laughs) word. Yeah. And hopefully you'll be here for our second one that will be in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So you've heard the first episode of these books, guys, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Jenny and Parry will be back in the weeks in between our regular podcast to tell you a little bit more about book recommendations based on the theme Supply the by B, the Bonsai Tree. And I hope you enjoy listening to those. They are a little very fun, and Jenny and Parry are fantastic to listen to. They are very, very funny talking together, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Looking forward, you can watch this space for a very exciting competition coming your way from North Lancashire Libraries. We will be launching a photography competition during the summer and the competition is to take some photos of nice places or scenes round about North Lancashire and we'll put them together into a photo ebook which we will launch on Box later in the year. So it's not launched yet. Do watch out for that on our social media when it hits and take part if you enjoy taking some photos. But that's all for now, guys, from us. And you can leave us a little bit of feedback on our podcast if you've enjoyed this one using the hashtag, hashtag FLB podcast, or by using the email address librarypodcast at northland.gov.uk and drop us a wee email. But that's all for now, guys. We will be back again soon with another episode and also watch out for B's Books episodes in between. Bye for now.